Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music, and business to deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class performers. I'm Noel Allnut, the CEO of Securo, and today I'll be talking to Kath Canuli, a former Australian soccer player and coach. As a female soccer player, Kath paved the way for younger generations to make a career out of their sporting life. She truly is inspiring. Building Resilience Podcast. Kath Canuli, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm very well. Um, it's great to have you on the show today. I'm excited to, to have the conversation, hear more about yourself. Um, typically, when we uh, get guests on the show, the first question I ask is, let's start at the start. Uh, so for our listeners, can you, uh, can you talk me through your journey from uh, grassroots uh, soccer into playing for the Matildas? Yeah, look, um, I grew up in a football-crazy household. Um, I'm from an Italian background and, you know, football was was like a religion to us. You know, we went to football, we watched football. Um, and I think when I came home one day and just wanted to play, um, my, my mum wasn't really happy about it. You know, I was the youngest girl of the family. And um, one day I was just lucky enough, Dad, took me and we told mum we'll go on somewhere else and we ended up down at Marconi Fields where we spent a lot of time as kids, <laughs> um, obviously with our Italian background and, and growing up in Western Sydney and started training with the boys there and that's sort of where my journey began. Um, there was no female teams back then. Um, if you wanted to play, you had to play with boys. Um, I ended up playing, you know, the highest level youth league with Marconi boys, which was so unheard of for, for young females back in that day, you know, so many barriers that I had to overcome because, you know, parents talking about this young girl playing in the team, taking the spot of a boy and um, lucky enough for three years, I was, I was the leading goal scorer. So I really gave them something to talk about. Um, my journey came to an end with the boys though at under 13s when um, the president of the association at the time said that I can't continue to play with boys anymore. And it was at that point where I had to transition into an all-age ladies competition. Um, that was the next step from from age 13. So I'd done that major um, major jump into senior football straight away. And um, lucky enough, um, you know, I'd done quite well and sort of went into the pathways of the New South Wales Institute of Sport. And from there, I started getting recognised. And, um, you know, the pathways then were through Westfield Sports High School, so I started going to a sports high school as well. Um, and, yeah, look, the journey wasn't easy, but to, to keep getting to the top, you sort of had to put yourself in those right um, environments. From there, I was at the Institute of Sport, and, and back then it was not called the A-League Women's. It was called the Summer League, um, and that's where I sort of started to get recognised and, and went my made my way through, obviously, junior Matildas, uh, went to a couple of Youth World Cups and, it was about in 2004 where I actually got to a point where I didn't want to play the game anymore. I got a, a major injury. Um, I had compartment syndrome, missed out on the um, Athens Olympics at the time. And then I just turned around and said, I don't want to play anymore because I thought I had this vision and this journey of where I wanted to go as a footballer. Um, and obviously growing up and idolising uh, male footballers at the time, I thought that my journey and my pathway was going to be the exact same. I was going to play for this major club and all these things were going to happen for me. And then when reality kicks in as a female footballer back 20 years ago, you know, the realities are a lot different. So I actually took a bit of time away from 
from the game for a few years and I went travelling in Europe and a sort of the, the A-League women's actually started a few years later and I got called to come back and play just in a, in a local NPL comp and I was lucky enough to get back into football and, and then I got a proper cap with the Matildas and, you know, I played over 50, 60 games in, in the A-League women's and here I am now coaching and if I didn't make my way back into the game, I don't think we'd be sitting here having this chat today. Yeah, well, congratulations for making it back into the game because once you're out in any high level of sport, it's it's it is difficult to get back in. What was the what was your mindset when you were you're traveling around Europe and you get the call to come back and and you the opportunity to play? What was it that enabled the change in you to go? Actually, I'm going to give this a crack again. I think the main reason was the the A League women's competition knowing that there was um, a professional league that had started. I think that's what excited me about Australia and, and coming back and playing and, um, you know, the the men's A-League competition had been established. And I think knowing that there was a, a platform for females in Australia that was, you know, linked to the A-League men's competition, that was something that really enticed me to come back. Um, and I've always loved football, you know. Um, football has always been in our blood and, I think I was just a bit, um, what would be the word, maybe sort of blindsided by what I thought that I was going to achieve in the game compared to um, where I was sort of heading. Um, I also got a scholarship to go to America to play in one of the top colleges over there and obviously coming from an Italian background and my parents um, shut me right down. They wouldn't let me move to America on my own and um, they said I wasn't allowed to go and I think, you know, smashing those couple of sort of things that, that hit me at the time. That's where I just thought, you know what, maybe I'll try something else for, for a little bit. And like I said, I, I had that time away from the game and I'm so grateful that, that I had got the chance to have my time again because, again, I don't think we would be sitting here if, if I didn't. But um, thankfully, the you know, the Australian um, Football Association you know, invested in the women's game and, and that's what's given, you know, a lot of young girls a spark to want to play football professionally. Talking about that spark, you must have had a lot of spark. Um, I've only been to Marconi once and it was uh, it was actually in the bar, I can't lie. It was, oh, I didn't actually see any football there, but I know <laughs> the, the heritage and the passion of, of that uh, of that club in, in Western Sydney. Um, so that spark that you had playing up in the in the boys team up to under thirteens, uh, what was it? What 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 was it that was driving you? What was it that gave you that spark? Because it's a it's a tough competition at all ages. So uh, to shine through and be top goal scorer, there must have been something special within you that would continue that development. Oh, I'd definitely put it down to passion. You know, we're all crazy. We're sick about the game. Um, you know, before training would be there kicking the ball we would train and then after training for about an hour or two we would all stay back and you know our parents would go into the club and have dinner and we would all hang about and and keep playing like you know unstructured um you know football in in the backs in the car parks wherever we could find a space to play football you know when the lights turned off wherever we could find some sort of space to play game we would be playing and I think that was a difference back then to you know, the difference of what it's like today. You know, obviously kids have got so many different things that they can, you know, they can do, the iPad, the iPhone, um, you know, PlayStations, all that side of things. But for us, you know, 
it was all about that football. It was all about the passion. Um, it was all about the, the senior men's team as well. Like we would get together on the weekends and come watch the games and we wouldn't be there just for the game and then leave. It would make it, it will be a whole day thing. We would be sitting there all day um, playing together again. Everything revolved around that round ball. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that around the, the that just the obsession with just playing football as much as possible and that community that you build at that young age. One of the things, I mean, I'm from Newcastle, which is a big uh, football city in the UK. And um, I remember being, I've been in Australia now 14 years. And I remember going home after five or six years, really that rise of the, the PlayStation, the iPad, etc. And I remember walking around the streets that I used to play out when I was kind of 11, 12, 13. And I said to my mum, and I said, where are all the kids playing football anymore? You know, like the, the jumpers for goalposts. I really feel whether it's the security of, of places anymore, or I don't know what it is, but it has really been that that shift. I had Craig Johnson on the show, um, and uh, and that was one of the things he's really passionate about as well, is, is bringing back that the play in children and the, the playing and the competition and working with each other. Let's hope it kind of has somewhat of a renaissance because football's still huge and it's only getting bigger, specifically the rise in the women's game. Um, but it doesn't seem to be on the, the kind of the, 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 the parks just in, in, in random uh, townships anymore or kind of uh, in, in car parks. It's all a bit more official than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. Everything's very, very structured. Obviously, I can, I can speak a lot for you know, Australian football, um, you know, I've got family in Italy and, and in South America as well. And, you know, I think it's it's a difference in, in culture, you know, but I think it's it's a massive, um, you know, opportunity for parents to be able to realise that, you know, getting your kids out and about and, you know, socialising with other kids and, you know, whether it's football or any sport, it's always going to help them in the long run. I know um, talking to a few friends in the UK, um, in, in some of the top academies, they're doing multi-sport before football now because a lot of the kids are unco and don't have the, the skills that they need to be able to push on to the highest level because of, you know, that play outside, running, running. Like you just see kids now that they can't even run backwards, some kids, you know, doing hopscotch, yeah. things like that. So it's because they're not out in the streets, you know, trying things and, you know, falling over to be able to get back up again and be able to, you know, jump on the bike and do a wheelie and, and all those things aren't happening for, for young kids. And what you're finding now more and more is that, you know, parents are paying for kids to have specialised training, whether it's specialised running training or specialised football training or a, whatever it is. A lot of the parents are happy to pay to put their kids in where it's, you know what, get all your mates together, get all the kids, throw them on the field and say, hey, you're not allowed to come back home for three hours, at least three times yeah. a week, and then they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I used to, uh, it's the other way around uh, when I was younger, I'm sure the same for yourself. It was you'd be playing football in the car park, and uh, once the street lights went on, you had to go home. Oh. That was time out. Um, you've got a clear passion for the game, and, um, and that's shown obviously in your. Um, your expertise and your skills and, and everything that you've achieved in the sport. Um, from a mindset perspective and a, an emotional perspective, talk me through pulling on the Matildas jersey for the first time and, and what that meant to you. Oh, look, even just talking about it now and you just, you know, mentioning that to me, it, it brings a tear to my eye, you know. I'm so fortunate that I'm one of the lucky ones that, that got to wear that jersey. I didn't wear it nowhere near enough times that, than I should have. Um, I should have wore it a lot more and, 
again, my journey um, was different. And But I'm so grateful that I did get to wear it and I did get to, you know, um, cap for Australia, proper cap. And it's something that, you know, I'll definitely talk to my kids about and, you know, tell them how special it was and, and what it means to me, I think, because, you know, it's all well and good playing sport at the highest level, but representing your country and being able to put that jersey on, it's something that, you know, you, you just can't explain. It's it's a feeling that, you know, you just feel on top of the world. I, I always say it, you know, it's a bit like wearing a Superman cape. You know, when you put that jersey on, it's like you're putting on a cape and it gives you some sort of superpowers because you want to go out and you just want to, you know, absolutely kill and run and do everything you can to represent that that jersey with pride. Um, I know most recently we had the under-20s Women's World Cup in Costa Rica and, you know, some of the girls that I've been fortunate enough to be part of their journey, I just wrote them a message and said, look, girls, make sure when you do put on that jersey, you don't know when it's going to be your last time, so make sure you absolutely give it everything and, and you wear it with pride. Yeah, that's a common theme between a lot of the um, international sports people that I've spoken to is that this game could always be your last. It doesn't matter where you are, so give it your all and uh, and leave nothing on the field. And you can really see that when, when people are doing that or, or there's a level of complacency. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it's great to see when, when that kind of fear of potentially tomorrow not being so available uh paired with the skills and the, uh, the people have it's uh there's some magic stuff happening on the on the sports fields around the world it's really exciting you're a huge sponsor advocate leader of the of the women's game in in australia where do you see the future for for women's football yeah look i think we're super super lucky that we've you know been able to host the women's world cup in 2023 um, now it's about us trying to leave a legacy for the game. I think it's it's super important that from now, you know, the next, you know, 24 months, I guess, we've got to really push on and really make sure that we've got certain structures in place that once the World Cup does leave our shores, that the legacy does keep kicking on and, and we're making sure that, you know, for the next 20 years, women's football is just on the rise and um, we've got certain certain plans in place that, you know, give girls the opportunity to, um, you know, one day represent their country or one day represent an A-League club. I think it's our duty of care as, um, you know, people in the game to make sure that, you know, I know we speak a lot about the players, but, you know, I've been on the coaching side as well now and I think it's important that we also look at the whole of football, whether it's player, coach, administrator, how can we help develop people in the female game to be able to keep them, you know, invested in the game and also keeping them involved long term, I think is important. Yeah, having that full infrastructure and a strategy that goes, uh, like I say, beyond those kind of key events is is huge. As a follower of the women's team in in England, I've been really pleased. Obviously, winning the uh, winning the Euros for the first time, and um, when I speak to my family back home, it's all they all they were talking about for a, for a few weeks. It's um, it's so good to see, and um, I think that's testament to the hard work that so many people for such a long time throughout the world have put into the grassroots of the game. And uh, I think it's going to be an exciting time ahead. Um, what would be your advice to? somebody starting out their career in in sport what would be the the fundamental advice you would give somebody i think it's just important that you keep working hard and you keep working towards your goals you know you're not always going to achieve your goals straight away you know some people might it might come easy for them you know 
you know, whether you're selected in um, regional teams, state teams, national teams. Some people, sometimes their journey is different and they've got to work a little bit harder and, and getting from, you know, A to B is not just a, a straight line, you know, and I think it's important. I use this saying a lot with a lot of my younger kids. I'm like, you know, have you, have you ever watched the Melbourne Cup? You know, the, the horse that bolts first, does it ever win? No, it doesn't. Well, exactly. It's, you know, it's sometimes you've got to run a steady race and keep working on, you know, where you need to be. And the biggest problem I find in, in youth um, football or sports in general at a younger age is that every parent or every kid wants to specialise so early. You know, yeah. they, they want to be the best at 13, 14. And unfortunately, that's not where you need to be the best. You need to be the best once you start hitting 18, 19, 20 because at a younger age, you're still learning the fundamentals of the game and you need to be a sponge. You need to be around people that will teach you, that will mould you into being, you know, resilient, hardworking because you're going to have setbacks. That is 100%. You will have setbacks. You are not going to have an easy ride to the top and it's about the ones that can get back up again and be strong and be able to push through those barriers that are going to make it in the end. It's not necessarily the ones that have, you know, a, a heap of talent. It's the ones that the mentality side, there is so many parts to being an elite athlete and it's not just about having that talent. There is just so many different parts and the mental side is a huge part of it now. Do you think we're doing enough to coach and raise awareness around the mental aspect of elite performance at a grassroots level? No, I don't. I think we need more. Um, obviously, the the whole society now, you know, a lot of kids are struggling with mental health, um, are struggling to push through those barriers, whether in, they're in an elite environment or whether they're just, at, you know, at school. You know, a lot of kids are struggling. And I think we need to put a massive emphasis on this side of things and teaching kids how to push through, you know, tough times. You know, what key um, strategies can they take to be able to, you know, push through these things? And um, obviously at an elite level, I honestly think that there needs to be more of it. You know, if you're part of an institute program, if you're part of, a, you know, an A-Leagues women's squad or AFL, whatever sport you're in, I think that side is a, is a key part to helping athletes achieve their long-term goals. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's across the board. I see it a lot in business as well, this kind of pressure that people get at the, at the early stages of their career um, in order to perform, but then also this societal thing of this instant gratification that if you're not winning and you're not scoring or you're not earning this or you're not buying that, then there's that kind of failure I think it, we've really lost, and hopefully we can get it back, that sense of just giving it a crack and seeing what happens without so much of an agenda or something on the other side of it. I feel there's just, just too much scrutiny on what's classed as success, which, like you say, isn't necessarily success for the long term. It's something immediate. It's 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 a challenge that I think as as leaders we all need to overcome it together but uh, be really instrumental in the education of the people around us. I think a big problem with this as well is obviously social media you know um, we're always comparing ourselves to other people you know the perception of what this person has or what this person's doing oh, I have to be like that you're you be the best version of you and I guarantee you will have success you know if you keep worrying about what everyone else is doing how are you going to focus on yourself how are you going to be better how are you going to be able to get to the top you know I think that's 
a really, really key factor that, you know, all people, whether you're in sport, whether you're in everyday life, you know, I see it across all areas of my life, you know, um, you know, this sort of mentality now. Everyone wants to keep up with the Joneses and everyone wants to do what this person's doing. Just keep focusing on yourself and, and I guarantee you, you'll be fine in the end. Yeah, I think that's very, very sound advice. Um, the last question I've got for you, Kath, is always the closing question. How would you define resilience? I think when you get knocked down, get back up again. That's, I think, the easiest way to, to um, define that because if you don't, you're never going to sort of get back on that on that saddle again and, and work through your, your problems. If you give up on anything, you know, even if it's playing snap with your, with your kid, do not give up because once you, you plant that seed and you have that mentality, you're always going to think it's okay to be able to just throw in the towel. So always push through and always find a solution to the problem. Never give up. I love it. And uh, and don't throw the towel in. That's very, very sound advice. Um, I've got one other question for you, which uh, I was going to ask earlier, but you want to roll. Who's your Serie A team? Juventus. Juventus. There you go. <laughs> Pogba's back. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting season. It will be. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Kath. It's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen, because we don't want you missing future episodes. Thanks to our guest today, Kath Canuli. I appreciate your time. Thank you to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about myself or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo, trust tomorrow. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. Thanks for listening to Afternoon Sport. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out one of our other podcasts? Like Strive Stronger with Andrew May. Listen in as Andrew May explores the latest and greatest in human performance. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or head to afternoonsport.com. Afternoon Sport.